0: My name is Jafar Iqbal, and this is Critically Speaking, difficult conversations about the arts and culture in Wales. Before we start today's episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that listened to the debut episode, who liked it, shared it, retweeted it, posted comments about it, Over 500 people listened to that first episode, which is an incredible number for a podcast that has only just begun. It makes me confident that together we can carry on growing and continue to have the conversations we need to have, reaching the people who need to be reached. And that brings me on to today's episode. Recorded in the summer of 2019, I sat down with one half of Commonwealth Theatre Rhiannon White at her house in Cardiff. On the day this episode launches, we'll be five days away from one of the most historic general elections in British history. So much of what Rhiannon and I talk about feeds into the chaos that currently consumes Wales and the UK in this election. Austerity, the class divide, the importance of honesty and the importance of community. Social justice sits at the heart of all the work that Rhiannon does, and it sits at the heart of this enlightening conversation. So welcome to episode two of Critically Speaking. How does a working-class girl from St. Menon's become a shit-hot director?
1: Thanks, me, Shit-hot. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Firstly, I probably struggle a little bit with the word director, but that's all right. Okay, well, no, um, but
0: no, no, I'm no. going to own it,
1: I'm going to own it, I'm no, going to own what it. What I don't even use? know. I, I use the word director, but it kind okay. of even still feels weird to even hear someone say that. Um, I got into theatre when I was a kid, and... I guess before I even really knew what theatre was, so I grew up in an estate that was built in the 80s, um, it was kind of perfect, perfectly laid out because it's a really green part of the city, St melon's for anyone who's been there, it's got lots of woods and lots of places to hide and play, and what we did when we were younger is we just played outside the entire time, played and played and played and created games and, you know, when and hidden the trees and you know like just the environment was perfect for yeah. us on the flip side of that the environment was also quite hostile and quite um quite violent uh i was living in a house where there was a lot of violence and a lot of aggression that was replicated throughout the street so it was quite familiar to see people running up the street with machetes or you know for, for violence to spill out into the street or for the police to be called or things like that were quite present and in a response to that i think the playing and the kind of creating things using our imagination really was like an anecdote for us anecdote antidote for us at that time mm. uh so what i used to do is i used to dress kids up in my mum's clothes and i used to put plays on in my garden and uh with what all the plays kids. well we just used to make them up and they might be like fairy i you know they'd be fairy tales or just silly things that we used to do but we we always used to um pull in an audience so we'd invite all the mums and they'd all come and watch the show how old were you probably like you know from the age of 7 onwards um so i did that for a while and i was wicked Mm. just uh, and my mum was really amazing because um she used to take us to, to the library i remember the day the library got built i remember going there for the first time
0: which library st
1: melons library And I remember how important that felt for, it was like a place of sanctuary out of the chaos that we lived in. And just like going there and kind of getting lost in books felt really amazing. It was like where my kind of curiosity for telling stories came from, I think. And my love of reading and wanting to learn more about the world was kind of born from there. And then I remember my granddad died when I was about 12. And we go, went to my grandfather's funeral, and a long, this sounds mad, but a long lost cousin of my mum's basically turned up, and turned out he was an actor, and he was working in Cardiff as an actor at the Sherman Theatre, and uh, amazingly, he managed to help me get into the youth theatre at the Sherman, which I, I, I'd never I'd never been there, didn't know what it was, and I remember going. And I was about 13 and I used to have to get a bus and then walk quite far away. It was the right mission to get there. And when I got there, um, I loved it. But the thing that I struggled with was the kids definitely weren't the same as me. and I I felt very different, wore different clothes, I sounded different. And the thing that was the hardest is that I had different experiences to them. Did um, that change
0: at any point? No, I think
1: for the first time in my life, that's when I really Um, felt class was in the theatre which breaks my heart because it's something that I love and that I think is incredible to be part of and you know like for me bringing people together for the first time in a show and watching every night it'd be different and that energy that gets created and that catalyst that gets created like all of those things I love but um, yeah it was then that I noticed that there was a problem and that became a little bit of a battle with me because how could something i love not love me back that's what i felt
0: like do you still have that
1: um what, i think i you... give less of a fuck about it okay which is good but it's taken a bit of time to get there but i do and i think i'm more i'm more pragmatic about it like i want to i want to take action about it or i want to speak about it or i want to shift things in a different way So I think I just look at it in a bit of a different way because obviously things have changed a lot since then, you know. And actually what showed me, what helped me know that things could be different, I guess, was leaving Wales, leaving Cardiff and going out and seeking what I wanted to find. So I moved to Bristol and I got involved in... um, I just got involved with a group of people that were really active making theatre making our loads of artists together and it was a really great energy to be part of we, we we weren't asking for permission we weren't waiting for anybody we were just every week we would meet and rehearse and think of new ideas and then pool all the resources that we had in each other to make a show without funding without anything without support from any theatre really so at that time I was like 24 just left university. Went to a really experimental university. I was super blessed to go there.
0: Experimental in what way?
1: It was probably I would say the most radical drama art school in the country for its years and radical in the way that it taught you, in the way that it gave you space and time to be an artist, to like think about the world It was where I think definitely where my practice was encouraged and born was in in dartington the style of theater that i make is definitely from those times
0: and what was the class issue like there? was it was was there Mm. a class issue there
1: i felt more more accepted in that place i felt and i guess it's different when you go somewhere like that because there's people from all over the world you know at university and it was such a special place and a special time i mean i remember the first day i went to university so my teacher actually recommended that i applied to Dartington and so did Chapter I was working at Chapter that was amazing because I was like 15 when I started working in Chapter and I worked there till I was about 20 and all of a sudden I had this whole kind of like insight into the arts in Wales and what that meant and who was doing what and you know the Mike Pearsons and the Eddie lads of the world were existing and making work then and they were my friends and I had access to to them just on a very personal level so that taught me quite a big lesson in terms of in terms of you know if you want to be an artist you just that that is possible it, it taught me that it was possible and actually people like me could have access into that world so that was a big lesson in terms of class like in terms of how important it is that people can even just get jobs like that in places you know like because if you work in a coffee shop and you just have coffee you still feel part of it it's still something that belongs to you so that was quite important and The thing that was difficult I think was the first time I went to university I got dropped off by my friend who worked at chapter because no one in my family had the the means to drop me off at university and I remember going there with with him and everyone thinking that he was my dad and that was quite a difficult thing because my dad wasn't there to take me or my mum wasn't there to take me but I had to go with my friend and you know that that again for me was part of my history so I think in terms of things like that experiences supported by my family or not supported by my family or not even being made possible by them that made me feel difficult but when i was there it was amazing
0: going back to like when you were a kid (laughs) why was making plays the outlet like where did that come from
1: i think um kids love playing it was just the notion of play and creating and dreaming and like from my experience of working with kids, I think it's just like creating worlds. I think the buzz of mm.
0: it—it
1: was kind of like fertile. The location, the time, the energy, the the needs—all of those things kind of lined up.
0: How do you create worlds now?
1: How do I create worlds now?
0: Yeah.
1: Most of the time, it begins with meeting someone or having a conversation about something we care about. So. I'll talk about a play that I made in 2013 called Our Glass House, and how that began was um, I got a phone call from Evie, who um, I founded Commonwealth with. She'd moved back home to Bradford to have a baby, and a woman, her next-door neighbour, an ambulance got called for her in the middle of the day, and her husband had beaten her so badly that she'd nearly died. And Evie called me and said, "I've got an idea for a play. I want to do a play about domestic violence. I want to stage it in a house. What do you think? Should we do it? Should we do it? Does this make sense?" I'd known Evie for like seven years. We set up a theatre company <laughs> together, and uh, when we met up in person and talked about it, I told her for the first time that I'd grown up with domestic violence and I'd also experienced it as an adult myself, and I'd never told her before. And I was like, "Fucking hell, that's that's something in itself that." it's so hard to talk about these things especially even with your friends you know like even with yourself it's really hard to admit to these things so we had a conversation and we decided that we ha- we had to do it on so many different levels on the personal level on the political level and we thought the idea would work that we could do a show in in a house and get houses from councils and we could maybe base the show on interviews with people and the process was really interesting for me because the first person we interviewed was my mum which was quite something to do and quite an emotional thing for me But actually it was a really good starting point in terms of how ethically and responsibly and carefully we talk about people's lives and what we do with that information and how we take care of them and you know what does it mean to interview people about this stuff and working with my mum really helped us shape a process that I think, is is supportive and generous and kind of careful with how it manages people's stories.
0: Why is that the approach you took rather than putting it in a theatre?
1: Because I think it comes back down to the honesty that I was talking about in the beginning. And it's really easy for us to have our assumptions about what it might be like. And, you know, I have an experience. I have a direct experience. That's something, but someone else's experience might not be the same.
0: Do you think you could ever make a show that didn't have a social conscience attached to it?
1: Hmm.
0: Or is that just ingrained in you? <laughs> uh,
1: I, I don't think so, no. <laughs> like, I think I think that's... Um, I think everything is political. I think everything is... I mean, it's political that I'm, I'm I work in theatre. That's political, is it? I like theatre that's relevant and... I like theatre that speaks to people of our times. I like working with people who are new to theatre. I like working with people who are really well trained actors and dancers and mixing them together with people new to theatre. And I guess that I just, I've seen what energy gets created when you do that, and that's what I love. And I just see so much kind of, um, so much potential in those things. Like, actually, I think that's a, for me my most favourite way of working. I think I would never say no to it. To stuff like I would always want to think about it because maybe one day I do want to make a Shakespeare, but at this time in the present, in the state of where we're at with things, I want to make work that speaks to people and speaks to our time, and that has to be political and it has to be engaged.
0: It's funny because you, you, you kind of with Commonwealth, you kind of have one foot in Wales and one foot in England, you are a multinational. Company, I guess. <laughs> what? Wow. Like a venture capitalist. Basically, yeah, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what you. Multinational. Yeah. I'm um, intrigued. What you meant by working with people who aren't who are new to theatre? How do you compare how England approaches that and how Wales approaches it? Do you think Wales is good at working with people who aren't new to theatre?
1: Hmm. I think both places are notoriously fucking bad at it, hmm. to be honest. And I think. I think there's some people who are doing things super well and super interesting. And I think there's how I see it is that we have to be very, very careful with the way we make work and approach things. So I think like I'm deeply troubled by people who um, pop along to a place that they have no connection with, who start to kind of seek out stories, who then use those stories without working with people who own those stories. Often those people might not have any agency, but deserve, but equally have lots of agency, but as being taken away by someone who has more than them at that point, like what that means. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think sometimes it's pushed by both arts councils to kind of do this, like go beyond your, what you're doing as artists to then reach this community, this community, you know, like the tick boxes to reach and achieve those things. But if we just send any old person into places to do that kind of work without knowledge, without respect, without any of those things, what kind of work do we make? Sorry, that sounds really cryptic.
0: No, but then arguably aren't you somebody at first going into a place and not knowing it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely, I am am that person. But I think it's the way that people approach things, Mm -hmm. that it's different. And Commonwealth are renowned for... You know our process and our way of working with people. So I don't think it's just about class. It's not just about me connecting with my people or my tribe. You know, I think actually yeah. it's about it's about being human and it's about uh, noticing and respecting what's there and seeing people as assets and seeing places as assets and also giving people an invitation to make the work with you. And time isn't. I hate it when people talk about time because you know you you know you could do a show in six weeks, six months, a year, two years, three years. There's never enough time to really understand where people come from and, and what that means you'll never get there you won't unless you come from it like I don't I don't believe that
0: it seems like a lot of your work is about what comes after about mm. the legacy that it leaves behind is that fair to say?
1: I think it's all important I think even before it starts before the show I see it as like this is such a wafty thing to say <laughs> such a wanker but like it's like circular like the process is circular so it's never ending and it's about how it starts. I think starting something is really important. I think the connections that you make, and you truly want to, you know, you truly have to want to be in that place with people and want to tell that story with them. You know, it's about co-creation, um, and then that circular process goes. You know, it goes from a point of working with the people who are best set to tell that story to bringing in artists who are the best ones to to make it look amazing and create the world that you want to see to working with writers to working with the actors to then working on how the audience engage with it to working how the press engage with it because what we're trying to do is create movements you know we're trying to you know trying to bring that into the consciousness of people and that's not like I want to bring the play into the consciousness but I want to bring the whatever we're talking about into the into the public sphere and then back again because then you're making the show you're meeting the audience and then what what happens in that place then is just as important. It's not the most important thing, but that continues because ultimately, Commonwealth, me, I want to see more people like me <laughs> working. In Do you the think there are enough
0: people like you in the industry?
1: Yeah, because artists is it's always been. um you know, it, the, the, in this country, that arts is quite an elite thing.
0: How do we get rid of elitism in theatre? A... Sacramal. Sakamol. Yeah. Across across the UK.
1: Yeah. No, I'm joking. You're not. Um, no, are you? I think no, I think it's this thing. You know, like it's. Um, I think that arts is fundamental. Fundamentally run by. Um, it's run by the middle classes, and I think power. When people have power, it's really hard to shift them and. Like, for me, like, I've been in rooms where I felt instrumental to their vision. Like, I'm the kind of token person who grew up on benefits or here's the girl who works in the States or whatever. I think it would be different if someone from that background might be in the position. I think it would. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, A very good friend of mine, Hassan Muhammad Ali, he talks about it quite well. And he, he talks about uh, the middle classes occupying those jobs and how difficult it is for them to give those things up. And he talks about the arts being colonised by the middle classes. I think it's always been colonised. And I, in terms of like the subsidised arts, so we're talking about the arts councils, the foundations, the trusts, the people who have the, the money. Like, like We need money. We need money to, to do the work that we need to do. We need money. So that's a thing, that's a real thing, and that's a really palpable thing between Wales and England. Like I feel the difference between the two countries and what that means. I feel that border is a hard, funding border. I feel it. What I do know for sure is that the very the the incredible Raymond Williams, who's a bit of a hero to me, he said all culture is ordinary, and I truly, with all my being, believe in that statement. Because I, I've experienced it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, I believe that the making of art is an elitist. The making of art happens everywhere. Like, I was doing it when I was a kid in my street without even realising what that meant or what that was. But I, I knew how to do it. We know how to storytell. It's in our DNA. So I think, in a way, it's like, how do you hold on to that and, and go deep with it and explore it and own it and make what you want to make without being answerable to anybody or you know, I don't ever want to be with a begging bowl outside the National Theatre in London begging for money to make a show, like I'm just gonna do it. I think it's remembering that we don't have to ask for permission and actually if they're not gonna let us into these roles in the future, then fuck them. 'em. We'll do it anyway and we'll do it in our way, you know. But the reality is is that they need us. <laughs> they need us.
0: Do you think everything that you've done in your career and you are doing and you will be doing is a skew? still doing what you were doing as a six-year-old? Do
1: you know what? I think it is. I Mm. think it's... um, Obviously, it was born from those times, and Mm. one thing that um, I'm quite fierce about is is narrative and the way we tell stories, and I think that's been inherited to me from the years gone by. I think it's more built on injustice and witnessing injustice, and I think where it comes from is John Redwood, who is a politician... In the nineties, he, he was Welsh Secretary of State, an Englishman. He came to my estate and he said um, all the single mothers who live here should have their children taken off them and put into care. St. melons is a then female vice, and women are just getting pregnant to have children. He said that. Yeah, he said that. He released a statement about the place that I lived in an area where you know Cardiff Council w- would put in single mothers there. They were doing that, and there was a lot of single mums living there, but the single mums that I knew were super strong and, you know, bringing up three, four kids by themselves um, and doing it really well, you know? And then this guy who had no idea released this statement and it kicks off. It went everywhere, went viral. Viral in the 90s. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> J- J-K, J.K. Rowling basically, like, wrote a letter of support to the mums in St. Melons. And I always, I always say this, I always say, like, we have to be careful on what narrative we put on people you know because he put that narrative onto my community and I feel it I feel that the shockwaves of what he said that last in a place like St Melan's because I have lost count by the number of times that I walk into a place and I say where I'm from and then I get like numerous words back to me like that I just you know that me or that place don't deserve it's just a place you know like but I got it the other day where um I was in a training course and no an teacher was running it, and there was a room of 20 people. And she went, What schools did you go to? I said, Oh, Romney really High. And she went, That school made me give up teaching in front of everybody. And then you're just like, Well, it's a bit of a shit thing to say. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or I'm fed up of like, Oh, that's rough, that's shit. Oh, that's this, that's Beirut, that's this, that. You know, like, what? I, I guess it's like understanding context of why a place might turn into that or why an opinion of a place might turn into that. Because actually my opinion is very different.
0: You've not done a show about St. Melons, have you? No. It's funny you you talk a lot about how everything comes out of your own experiences and but that is the experience and you've talked about St. Melons so much. I I
1: just moved office and I just moved to Lamley which is next to St. Melons. Yeah. So I feel like the journey's heading there but um Is there
0: is there any fear?
1: Yeah, there is fear and it's I think it's like I left St. Melons when I was eighteen years old and I left and I didn't ever want to go back. And that was like a mixture of emotions and ghosts and all kinds of things of people there that i never want to see again in my life, do you know what I mean? So there's, there's the very personal things that exist there that, that you know, my family still lives there. And every time I go there, after being away and working with people in places similar, I realise more and more that I want to make work there. And that's where it's heading, I think and I think there's stories to be told there is absolute gold there and it was amazing because, you know, I programmed Women of the World Festival last year and I started to bring some voices in from St. Melon's and that felt really interesting and really good and I think it's just brewing and things take time and I'm really excited that I get to develop a new project in a new place, my place, with the stories that are going to relate to me so much.
0: Have you seen kids in St Mellon's or in other working class places that you've worked in doing what you did however long yeah. are, you, are you seeing that? yeah of
1: course I see it all the time yeah. I see it all the time and I see bright kids you know and I wrote a paper and made a show about class and spent some time in St Mellon's with some young people and I asked them to write what they think art, art was on a, on a whiteboard and they wrote Art is for Boris Johnson and I thought fucking hell that's it isn't it
0: that's, they know that's a sad answer isn't it? it is
1: a sad answer but it's so true in this time you know like like that's how they, how they see it and these kids were like 11 years old you know and you know let's just own up to things because kids are, are you know they tell the truth yeah and, and in that area I don't think all kids would be like that but in this area they, they meant it you know like if you look at the facts and figures there's no arts going on in East Cardiff doesn't mean we should run out and make out any East lift. Just to say that people don't need that. Don't need you knocking on their door and being like, "I got an art project." And if you do go there, you have got to pay people proper. But people want jobs.
0: <laughs> so if you're not um, overly comfortable with being called a director, what what is what do you? What no, I am a director. Okay. I
1: am a director, but you okay. know, like at the moment, like it's yeah, I'm i di- I'm, I'm a director, but not in a like traditional sense. I guess I'm more kind of curator or a facilitator i don't know i don't give a shit about labels i just like working with commonwealth
0: Commonwealth. <laughs> yeah i just like making there things happen and
1: yeah i think a lot of the time what i'm doing is holding a space for people to facilitate a conversation around what they might want to do and kind of guiding them into making it happen and sharing i mean commonwealth this is really cheesy but you know like it's in our name like what we believe in and we believe in in the wealth of people, and I guess in a way, how our process works is that we share each other's wealth. So if my wealth is all the connections that I've made, the networks that I have, the access to funds that I have, the ability to fundraise, the ability to you know create theater in the way that I do, then that's what I'm bringing to the table, and the people that I work with have got a whole host of other things, so it's like a ma- mega collaboration of sharing each other's treasure
0: sorry i do i do <laughs> and that's the end of the episode thank you so much for listening episode two was recorded hosted and edited by me jafar Iqbal. the podcast has been produced by shane nichols who also provided sound support i want to thank rianne for giving up her time and her house for the recording and of course all of you for listening make sure you join the conversation by finding us on social media it's critic underscore speak on Twitter, critically.speaking on Instagram, and you can search for the Critically Speaking Facebook page. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, but until then, thank you, deoch and goodbye.